told two people that I was going to be speaking today because I was afraid nobody would come. And one of them was my wife, and she kind of has to be here. It's in the contract. The other was Craig Neal. I can't figure if he's here to support me or to see the train wreck. So we'll have to see, <laughs> we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, but today's message is Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. And um, this is the second week in the summer series, He Is. If you have a way to join us, we're going to be in Psalms 23. Two things I want you to know. Um, one is I hope you walk away from here comforted, encouraged, and even challenged in your faith. And two, God has used some circumstances in my life and His Word to center me on Him uh, because I'm not that easy to center on God. And that's what I want to share with you today. I'm going to read the passage before we get started. Psalm 23, a song of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that that this particular passage has affected countless people in their suffering, in their lostness, in their struggles to make sense of life. I thank you that it's so full of hope. I thank you that it is uh, something that we can lean on when we struggle. And Father, it can mean countless things to countless people. So even if it's just this, thank you for giving me a chance to share some of the things that, that you've meant to me through this passage. Um, I, pray that it'll, I pray that it'll be blessed. I pray that, um, that it'll speak to someone out here today. And uh, I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so people all over the world love this passage. And it's easy to see why. I'm sorry if I'm doing this. Um, it speaks with such faith and hope in the fact that God is bigger than anything we can possibly face. I believe that, and I'd like to share with you the ways God has comforted, encouraged, and even challenged me with these words. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So where this song is found is very telling. In Psalm 22, we find David, um, and we find a very different story. Some call it the song of the cross. And it's, David wrote both of these psalms, but in the first one, David starts out by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I find no rest. He goes on to speak of torment and oppression, really bad stuff. 
he even makes more reference to Jesus' suffering and death um, on the cross that won't happen for many, many years. Eventually, though, his mind frame begins to change, showing hope and faith as the song goes on, leading the reader into this message of such hope and joy in Psalms 23. And for one, and, and some of this may be real simple for you. Some of it may be something you've never really thought of it that way. But for me, I don't think it's a coincidence that God has these two Psalms back to back to show David really suffering, even pre predicting what's gonna happen to Jesus many, many years later. And, and to show his mind frame slowly change and then pick up in Psalm 23 with this amazing, hopeful, joyful song. Uh, I think it's there for our benefit. And this is what I saw. And this, this, is, this is the first thing that I feel like I, I learned when I took a new look at this chapter. And that's everything changes when God is my reference point. Um, John 10, 27 through 29 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will take them out of my hand. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to take them out of my father's hand. And so when David shifts to calling the Lord his shepherd and saying, I will not want, it's a huge change in perspective. And part of my role as a follower of Christ is to have that kingdom mindset. And that brings a complete change of perspective. Um, and what I believe it makes all the difference in how you see and interact with your world. When David professes God as his shepherd, he's placing God back in the center of his life. You know, sometimes when we go through a lot of stuff, we tend to zone in on ourselves. And, and I'm not saying that's necessarily something that you did wrong. But when you're going through stuff, you tend to think about your suffering. And so when David made that shift to put God back at the center of his thoughts, it's like it fixed his compass um, and not his own God now, not on his circumstances. Um, he now knows he is taken care of and God is in control. And this is the same for me, like a short example. Um, there's only a handful of people here that knew me when I was 15, 16, 18 years old. Um, I, I was very insecure and um, had, a, had really battled with, um, what's that called when you think people are like inferiority. And so every relationship I'd been in, I destroyed, melted down, exploded. I mean, I was a dumpster fire in relationships. And so all the way through a couple years into college, I just kept trying and trying and trying and I ruined every relationship. And, uh, and y'all, it was, it was not fun. It was a very lonely place to be. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm the most blessed person I know. Um, but somewhere along the line as I grew, God gave me a, a shift in my reference point. And when I started being a youth minister, I started seeing that being single, no offense, baby, but being single as an opportunity to pour all of me into ministry. 
And so that's what I did. And um, it's amazing how quickly the loneliness just kind of flittered away, you know? Um, now, was there points in my life where I still would have loved to have someone? Yes, but, um, but when I was God-centered and my reference point started with Him, it was amazing what a difference it made. Like it, I could have never got married and it had been okay. Um, and then after several years of teaching me a lot of the things he needed to teach me as a single person, God dropped this wonderful girl into my life. And I've learned more in the last nine years than I did in the 41 years before. Um, but it's a tough thing when, when your mind stays focused on what you're going through rather than your God who's much bigger than what you're going through. And so to me, the first point there is that God needs to be our reference point. Uh, one other thing that I really thought cool about this verse was David called God his shepherd. And this is very intimate considering David's past. David knew shepherding and David knew sheep, right? That was his wheelhouse. And so David um, is reducing himself to the role of a sheep and telling God he has total control. And here's something cool about how he said it. He didn't say the Lord is the shepherd, like the Lord is the shepherd of everybody in this room. No, he said the Lord is my shepherd. And that's very personal. And I agree 100%. If God was not the shepherd of anybody else in this room, there was a death that happened for me. And he is my shepherd. No offense. Um, so it's very personal. And so what I believe David is saying is, I'm yours and I trust you to take care of me in every way possible, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And that's how David looked at things with God as his reference point. And that's the way anyone can see it today as well. No matter what any of us are going through, we can choose to see the world through God as our reference point. Um, in verse two, um, God has shown me something as well. I believe, and this one's not too tricky, but I believe that God has just shown me that he is to be my resource. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This may seem very simple, but what does sheep need? Well, they eat grass and plants, they drink a lot of water, and they need protection. So they need, they need, they need pasture plants and they need grass. So what does God do? He doesn't give them a pasture, he gives them a lush green pasture. They need water, so what does God do? He doesn't give them raging rapids, he gives them still waters so that they don't even have to fight the current to drink. And as a shepherd, um, by definition, you're a protector of your flock. So God is meeting their needs abundantly. And what I believe David is saying here is that God takes care of him in the same way. God, God abundantly meets his needs, whether they be physical and safety, whether they be emotional, mental, or spiritual. So God meets all of his needs. And that makes God his resource. And for us, he lavishes his word upon us as we lay in the lush green pasture. He pours his spirit out on us as we drink from the still waters. 
And he puts us in relationship with other sheep that we can connect with, grow with, teach and learn from. And I can't think of a place I'd rather be than with him as my resource. Um, Okay, verse three. So verse three has the lesson that I've learned most often and most painfully in life. I can speak on this for sure. Um, with, um, With an incredible amount of knowledge, it says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that is God is my restorer. Um, there's an old guy named Brennan Manning. I think Jake even quotes him sometimes. A former Catholic priest who became an author and speaker. He wrote, for my generation, I'd say he wrote the most important book about grace, short of Romans. And um, and. It, that he tells a little story. The story goes that a public sinner was excommunicated and forbidden entry to the church. He took his woes to God and he said, they won't let me in God because I'm a sinner. And God looked at him and said, well, what are you griping about? They won't let me in either. I think I went to church with these folks. When I was 18 years old, um, I made a very big mistake and allowed the wrong church people to speak for God. And unfortunately, most people have to learn this on their own. I went to a church here in town where one night after church, uh, a prominent member of a, the prominent family that kind of ran the church slapped my pastor's wife in the face. Now my pastor was 27 and she was in her early 20s and I was 18 and I was very close to them, right? Um, and it, it shook me because the next day they resigned and left and the next day the church covered up and just moved on like nothing had happened. And so it sent me into a tailspin, which it should not have, but it did. So was the lady at fault for slapping the pastor's wife? Of course she was. Was the church at fault for backing her and sweeping it under the rug? Of course they were. Was I at fault for allowing it to derail me from God's plan? Of course I was. Um, and I think as an 18 year old, full of more fire than wisdom, I, I believe it, it just got the best of me. And now did God wanna restore that lady, that church and me, no matter who was at fault? Of course he did and he still does today. I know there are consequences for every decision, good and bad. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to restore you and bring you to a much greater place in your walk with him. Um, the idea that God is up in heaven waiting to zap you anytime you do something wrong, man, that's not biblical. It's just not. Um, and I'm thankful because there'd be none of me left if that was it. Um, what did Paul say? Christ came to suffer and die for the sinners of which I'm the chief. I think that's the only thing I connect with Paul on, to be honest with you. But, um, but no matter what I do, God wants me to be restored. Um, so why is it so important to be restored when you walk away from God? Uh, a guy named Henry Blackaby answers this very well. He's the guy who did experiencing God for all us Baptist folks. Um, your relationship with God is the single most important aspect of your life. 
If that is not in order, nothing else will be. So it all stems, it all stems from the relationship you have with God. Uh, you could have been tapped out on church like I did. Hey, enough's enough. You could have been pushed away by people claiming to speak for God. You could have been victimized by someone in the church that made you feel powerless. You could have burned out because you were one of the very few people doing the work. You could have just walked away because you thought your way was better. Anything could have taken you off your path, including you. What I want you to understand is that God wants nothing more than to restore that relationship. And so here's how this works out for me. Those events, now Ronnie Paul was right, I am a dinosaur. Those events happened my senior year in high school. It started in 1989. And they went from 1989 to 1992. Okay, and so my mom begged me for two years to go to church. And I just, I didn't have it in me, y'all. And finally, after a couple of years, she convinced me to go see my former pastor, Dwayne Sutton, who's probably the sweetest man that's ever walked the face of this earth. Uh, he was preaching at Green Oak. So just to get me back in church, we drove 45 minutes each way for a year. And God did a lot of work on me. Um, and then my mom convinced me one day to go to Eastern Heights. She said, there's this little gray-headed preacher there that I think would speak to you. I said, well, I'm, I'm 19, 20 years old, Mom. What, what's it like? She said, well, Megan Ford is their youth group. And I think you would enjoy it. And I said, all right. So... Anyway, I went, I fell in love with Ray. Um, Ray forced me into ministry at 21 years old. And how that went was, Ron, you're gonna be our youth minister. No, sir. Ron, you're gonna be our youth minister. No, sir. Brother Ray, I'm gonna get out of here. Walked out of his office and as the door's closing, he said, you start on Wednesday. And so one thing I've learned in life is that you never say no when fear is the only reason. And so that led to some pretty wild youth ministry years. You can ask Rodney Paul about that. And that led to 24 years of, um, of God blessing me to be in ministry. And so um, I'm sorry, but I, sometimes I get a little emotional because I'm old. Um, but I did get to be a part of some pretty cool things in those years, including being the youth pastor to a few of the people that are here at Crosspoint. And who knows if any of that would have happened without that night in 1989. Um, okay, let me move on before I cry like a 12-year-old. Um, uh, the next verse, I hope any of this is making sense at all. So... The next verse says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A lady at Eastern Heights Baptist Church named Edwina Cole, who was an amazing human being, said something to me one time that I've never been able to get out of my mind. She said that all of the people she knew 
with great faith had been through at least a season of great pain or suffering. And man, she had been around a while, so she knew some people. And so I, I let that, I chewed on that for a long time. And um, I kind of feel like what she was saying was the silver lining of suffering is that it leads to a stronger, more intimate relationship with God. And um, I couldn't help but think when I was thinking about this of the folks in Lake Charles over the last 15 months. Um, for some of us, it hadn't been that bad. But, uh, but there are folks that have been through an unusually large amount of suffering. You know, there are folks that are still homeless. There are folks that don't have roofs from the first storm and we're in the next hurricane season. There are folks that the insurance companies are making them take them to court rather than paying what they've rightfully earned. And what these 15 months has taught me and many people I know through this journey is that he is absolutely my refuge. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Psalm 91.15-16 says, when he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You could have gone through extreme health issues. You could have suffered the loss of a family member or someone you were close to. You could be under tremendous pressure financially. You could be under severe oppression. You could be being victimized or just be in a really dark place. So no matter what your circumstance is, if you are or have been in the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to know that God is your refuge. He will be your strong tower. He can and will stand for you when you are crushed by your circumstances. And I agree 100% with Miss Edwina, your faith will grow through it. Um, the, um, the next uh, part is verse five and it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And when I was talking to my mom about this, this was the section she loved. Um, I think she's kind of a next to kin kind of girl. Listen to this. God is going to take all those things that, and times that a believer suffered because of their faith or in some parts of the world died because of their faith and one day in this life or heaven is going to lavish blessings on them. God will show you off as his masterpiece his beloved child, warts and all, anoint your head with oil and overfill your cup. God will be your reckoner. So good news here, even if there never seems to be any justice on those that persecute harm and make life miserable for one of God's kids, there's coming a reckoning because God has your back and he takes care of his own. Um, several of the people in this room I've seen Sean and Diana early in their marriage go through some things that they didn't ask for and they leaned on him. 
I've seen Matt go through some things he didn't ask for. And they leaned on him. And God took care of them. He absolutely did. So, and I, I can't talk about this. Maybe one day when we've got about an hour. But um, if you knew only a portion of what my little brother has been through, He is an absolute miracle. And yeah, God, he's a knothead, but, um, but God has his back. And I can't tell you how much that means. You know, because you can do something to me all day long and I can deal with it. But you do something to my little brother or you do something to my wife and then, you know, that, that holy rage comes. But for Stevie, you know, there's just nothing we could do with the things that have happened to him. So anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about that. Um, that's a sermon in its own. Okay, so Galatians 6 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will, be, will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Our job is simple. Love everyone like Jesus loves them. And do everything you can in your life to point them toward him. My favorite verse in the world, I don't know if that's okay to have a favorite verse, I guess they all should be. But my favorite verse in the world is 1 Corinthians 16, 14. And it says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. God will take up for you and his timing is perfect. There's a reason he allows us to go through unfair and terrible things. And honestly, I don't know what it is. And there's a reason his timing is what it is. And I don't know why his timing's different than ours. But my job is to trust him with what he's allowed me to go through. Trust him with the timing and let him handle it. And there will be an opportunity to grow from it. Um, and in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The final thing I wanna share is that at the end of the chapter and at the end of the day, God is shown to be my redeemer. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I can be so much more in him. He's my redeemer to an amazing, fulfilling life here on earth where believers have the chance to live out the kingdom of God right here, right now. And he's my redeemer to a relationship with him throughout eternity. How? Jesus was crushed by the weight of my sin on the cross and overcame it, rising on the third day to give everyone hope in him. And of all the things he is to me that I've shared today, he is to me because he's my redeemer. So, in closing, if you're going through 20 years of loneliness like me or the agony that David is experiencing in Psalms 22 or anything you could be going through that has your focus not on Christ, you have the opportunity to make that shift and make him your reference point. 
If you're struggling to be everything to everyone, every time, everywhere, and just can't seem to get it done, let him be your resource. Let him meet your needs. If you fall away from God like I did, or for any reason, he loves you and wants to be your restorer, bringing you to his plan for your life, no matter what you have done, and to a sweeter, stronger relationship with him than before. It's kind of like the dichotomy of sin. Sin pulls you away from God, but the, the coming back to God can be sweeter than if you hadn't messed up. If you're going through circumstances where you are in that deep, dark valley of death, remember, he wants to be your refuge. He wants to see you through and be your strength when your strength is gone. If you have ever suffered for your faith and wonder why evil men seem to be winning here on earth, I've got good news. He is your reckoner. The world is round and we weep. We, we, weep. we reap what we sow. So keep heart and keep doing right and living for him because there's coming a day where he will show everything for what it is. You'll be glad you didn't wane in your faith on that day. And finally, all of these things lead me to say that he wants to be your redeemer today, to give you a full rewarding, overcoming life now and into eternity. So my only question is, or the question, my only request is, please consider these things today and as you go about your days. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I'm sorry that I've yet to make it through a sermon without crying one day. I thank you that you are bigger and stronger and more powerful than anything we can go through. I thank you that the relationship with you is intimate and sweet and rewarding. I thank you that you make me more kind. I thank you that you make me more loving and gracious. I just thank you for the, the way I am when you're running my life. I pray for everyone in here, Father, that uh, you'll speak to them through these amazing words, however it is that they need to hear. And I pray that what I said may not have gotten in the way of that. But please use what we've talked about to, uh, to, to encourage, to bless, to comfort, to challenge us this week. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.